Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the great privilege of coming together as your children. Lord, what a joy it is to be here together with people who love you and love one another. Lord, it's wonderful to see such smiling, happy faces. And Lord, it's grateful to know that even in the midst of hard times that we have a God who cares for us and that we have brothers and sisters who support us. Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, we're really praying that you would lead us into deeper truth and remind us of things that maybe we've forgotten. Father, help us to see the things that are important to you, and I pray that the things that are important to you would become important to us. Father, may your spirit teach us as only you can. We're dependent upon you and reliant and expectant that you will speak to us this morning. So Father, just help us to be open to your voice. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we are on the third part of our series. The series keeps expanding for one reason. I thought it would be initially two parts, but the reality is, as I've continued to study, I realize that it's an important subject for us to understand, and the reality is this. If I don't know what it means to be a Christian, it doesn't really matter anything else that I do know. And I think it's good for us to take time to start to understand what does it mean to be a Christian. When we started this series off, what was it, four weeks ago, because we had a gap of two weeks, we looked at how Christianity has changed drastically in the last 2,000 years to become something that God never intended it to be, right? And remember looking at those statistics of how what people believe today in Christianity is drastically different than what the Bible teaches. And so we have the blessing in being able to look at Scripture to understand what Christianity really is. Well, we've taken some time and we've started looking through a passage of Scripture that I hope we will have memorized by the end of this series in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, and the verse, as you can see it on the screen, it says that he appointed, or the King James says, ordained, how many? Twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. And we saw that Jesus here is telling us that this is really the twofold call of the Christian. Number one, to be with God, and number two, to go for God or to witness on his behalf. And we've seen that this isn't an isolated passage, but all throughout Scripture, this is the same experience, right? Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees the Lord, he has time with him, and then what does he say in verse 8? Here am I, send me, right? We see the woman at the well spends time with Jesus, and after her time with Jesus, does Jesus have to twist her arm to get her to go back into the city? No, she leaves her water pot, runs back in, and joyously declares, here's the man that knows everything that I've done. We see that this is consistent all throughout the experiences that people have in Scripture with Jesus. And should it be any different with us today? I pray by God's grace not. So we've seen that this is important. Now we also looked at why it's important to spend time with Jesus. And we saw in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 that the reason why we need that daily time with the Lord is because the Bible tells us that we're born again, not of anything else except by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. So how many of you want to be born-again Christians? I think that's all of us. That's why we gather every week, right? But we can't be born again unless the Word of God impregnates us with the life-giving force that we really need. And that's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 we were looking at. But then we saw, how many of you have ever been tempted if you had an option between either spending time with God or going for God, which one would you choose? I don't want to see a show of hands necessarily, but if, if you're anything like me, I would pick just spending time with God any day over going for God. Um, some of you might be able to relate to me. You're not as outgoing as other people. You know, I see those people who can talk to anyone and it really blows my mind and I praise the Lord for them. 
But then there's others like us who feel intimidated by others and who don't really like getting up in public, which you might find ironic as a pastor. But the reality is, is that the call of the Christian is not to pick whether you're going to spend time with God or witness for Him, but really the combination of the two is what a Christian looks like. Now we saw that there are five major hindrances to why people don't witness for God, and I'm just reviewing this for the sake of those who weren't here, or if we've, we've forgotten a little bit before we move on. There are five main points why people don't witness for God. Number one, maybe we don't have an encounter with Jesus like we should. The reason why we brought that up is because every time someone in Scripture has an encounter with Jesus, the natural result was witnessing. It wasn't some new program or new, new ideology that changed that caused them to want to go be witnesses, but really it was an encounter with Jesus that motivated them to share with others the precious friend they had found in Jesus, is what Desire of Ages tells us. Number two, many times the reason why we don't share our faith is because we're afraid of being rejected or we're afraid that we don't know enough. And I think all of us can relate to those two fears. If we knew that people were in the world looking to know more about God, then maybe we would be a little bit more prone to share Christ with others. But Jesus does tell us that the harvest is what? Plentiful or ripe, but the laborers are few. So there are people, and and Spirit of Prophecy tells us that there's people all around the world looking to heaven, just waiting to be ushered in. So really, our fear of rejection, because they might not want to know, what if we're actually missing out because there's people right around us who do want to know? Um, A side note of deviation, yesterday I went to get my hair cut. Long story short, I sit down in the chair. This guy's about 30 years old, and he starts telling me about his family. He tells me that he has a daughter who's eight months old named Paisley. I said, oh, that's great. We have two kids as well, one who's two and one who's ten months, or ten weeks, sorry, I'll try to remember their ages. And uh, so we're talking a little bit, and he says, well, what did you name your kids? I said, well, Genesis and Malachi. I said, are you religious at all? Said, well, yeah, kind of. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor of the Bay City Seventh-day Adventist Church and the Vassar Seventh-day Adventist Church. I said, oh, Seventh-day Adventist. He said, when I was in barber school down in Lansing, he said there was a Seventh-day Adventist by the name of Jay who would stop by, and Jay asked me the question, hey, why do you go to church on Sunday? And he said, I don't know, because everyone goes to church on Sunday. And so Jay gave him this book, and he said, he gave me this book, but I can't remember the title of it. I said, was it Great Controversy? No, 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 it wasn't Great Controversy. I said, well, uh, so I'm trying to think with him. And he said, it had something to do with Ten Commandments. I said, oh, Ten Commandments twice removed. Yeah, yeah, that's the book. He said, what's amazing is there's, there's Ten Commandments, and the one that says remember, most of the world is forgotten. Why don't we keep the Sabbath? I said, wow, that's, that's really interesting. And uh, I said, what, what church are you attending right now? He said, well, my dad was a Baptist minister, but I don't currently go to church because I figured if, I, if our church could be wrong about the Sabbath, what else are we wrong about? I said, well, I think there's a lot of things that Christianity's moved on. I said, what about like what happens when you die or you know, do you burn in hell forever? He said, well, I don't think you burn in hell forever. From what I can tell in Scripture, you just burn until the punishment is over, you know, until your soul is dead. I said, well, I think that's because it's consistent with Scripture. That's why you're finding that. And as we're engaging with this, this is in Frankenmuth. This isn't across the seas in India. As we're talking about these things, I start to tell him, I, I said, you know, it seems like a, kind of interesting that we're meeting today. You know, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. You know about Seventh-day Adventists and you're studying. And he said, you know, I'm just looking for truth. I have an eight-month-old daughter and I want her to be raised in the truth. I said, well, it seems like maybe the Lord has, uh, he said, well, I don't think there's coincidences. I think the Lord's brought us together. I said, well, I didn't really want to say that because I thought it might freak you out. But I think the Lord has divine appointments all over the place. I could tell you about the man I met in Millington at the RV place just this week. 
Um, it's a blessing to have your trailer lights go out, I guess. And you can find all these divine appointments. And the reason I bring this up is just to tell you, my wife and I are kind of like blown away. It seems like the harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. And I wonder if our mindset, shift, if our mindset shifted, if we wouldn't be so afraid of rejection anymore. That's the side note. I hope you take some time to think in your own life. Lack of knowledge. James chapter 1, verse 5 tells us, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men what? Liberally. It's a blessing. We don't have to be afraid because we don't know enough. Someone else's responsibility. The reason why we don't share our faith sometimes is because we think there's someone either more qualified or someone else has that job but not me. Now let me ask you a question. If, it, if you had a choice between either you or Mark Finley or Doug Batchelor getting up and sharing their faith in public, would you not want to choose someone who you think is better qualified? I would be more than happy to sit down every week if Mark Finley Doug, you understand what I'm saying. These people who have breaths of knowledge. But the reality is, is God hasn't entrusted the work to just a few special people. But God has given the work to all of us, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Why has God given us that work? Um, four, we don't know where to start oftentimes. Spirit of Prophecy tells us that many would be willing to work if they only knew where to begin. And there's nothing more frustrating than someone telling you, you know, your job as a Christian is to be a witness. And you say, yeah, yeah, I know it's to be a witness. Well, where do I start? You'd better figure it out because it's life or death, okay? That's not how God works. He tells us where to begin. He works with us, and that's what we're going to look at next week. What are practical ways that I can carry the gospel out in my life? And number five, I don't have enough time. Now, the reality is, is I don't have a magic solution for that one because all of us are allotted the same 24-hour period. And each one of us are busy. And we talked about this, that it seems like in retirement, you're busier than when you're working. And when you're working, you feel like you're busier than retirement. I mean, there, there's never a time where you feel slow. We can look at people in high school and think, well, in grade school or high school, you know, you have tons of time. Well, not really. You're actually pretty busy too. And so the reality is, is if we're going to, have time, we have to make time for it. And that's the shift that needs to take place in our life. Well, today we're looking at the point, if God is calling us to be witnesses, why is that? Is God calling us to be a witness to punish us? Is it so that we can realize how bad we really are and, and just go through the grueling motions of sharing our faith with others and being rejected and humbled? Any of you ever felt that way when you think about sharing your faith? Any of you ever feel so intimidated, you wonder why God would give you something that's so hard to do? I'm just being 100%. How many of you have knocked on strangers' doors for a long period of time? Anyone done that? Have you enjoyed it? Like, I mean, I mean, there's, there's joy in it. Let me, don't get me wrong. I was a canvasser for six years. I, I enjoy, quote unquote, the work. But here's the reality. No one wakes up in the morning thinking, I would like to go experience some difficulty today in sharing my faith. Now, if I knew that every door there was just going to be wonderful people, it would make it a lot easier. But there's still a struggle, even when you're in the work. And Spirit of Prophecy even talks about that. Those who haven't been canvassing in a while, it's hard to get them back out into the field because there's this grieved feeling that they experience. And many of us feel that way. Why would God have us to be witnesses when it feels like witnessing is more of a burden than it is of a blessing? But this morning, what I want to look at is what does the Bible tell us why we need witnessing? Do you think that's a good question? Before we talk about the what witnessing is and how we can involve it in our lives, how many of you think we should understand why it's important for us? 
more than just because Jesus said it. Now that should be good enough for us. We should hear Jesus say he called 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. We should bow the knee and then just go do it, right? But some of us want to know a little bit more of why. And praise the Lord, God has given us some specific reasons why evangelism is important for the Christian. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 is where we're going to begin our study this morning, beginning in verse 10. And here God defines to Isaiah, he's talking to Isaiah and the people of Israel. And we know that God, when he speaks to Israel of old, that we are Israel of the present time. Are you familiar with that? That we are spiritual Israel, as Romans calls us. And so if God was speaking to Israel of old, do you think it could apply to us today? Well, absolutely. And so notice what God says to Israel and to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. He says, you are my what? Witnesses. Now this isn't shocking to us, right? We've seen all throughout Scripture for the last couple of weeks that God is calling us to be witnesses. Now it's interesting that God doesn't just say, you are my witness singular. Isaiah, you're the prophet, you're the guy who has the responsibility, you do it. But no, 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 you are my witnesses, which means there's more than one person involved in this witnessing experience. It's not just a job for Isaiah, but it's all of Israel who needs to take part in it. But notice how he continues. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen. What's the next word? That. Simple word, right? I'm not looking for something complex. It's that. What does that mean? Or what does it indicate? What's another word you could use instead of that? Therefore, because, for this reason, right? It's, it's a, a statement of purpose that's getting ready to come. So God is saying this. You are my witnesses for this reason. Now, how many of you want to know the re reason why God calls us to be witnesses for Him? Let's continue on in the verse. That you may what? Know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God form, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. So what is God telling Israel and Isaiah that he's calling them to be witnesses for? What is the reason? If you were to sum it up, what is God calling them to be witnesses for? What is the purpose? So it's interesting. God doesn't just say, you are my witnesses so that the heathen nations might know, right? Is that true though? Yeah, sure. You're witnessing the heathens know. We understand that. But he says, you are my witnesses so that you can know and you can believe that I am God. Now this is interesting. God says that one of the main reasons for witnessing is not just for the sake of the person who's on the other end of the conversation, but it's the for the sake of the missionary who's going out to share their faith. Now this is something that we find not only in Isaiah chapter 43, but we find it also in Isaiah chapter 58. I just want to encourage you to flip back a little bit as we try to understand this idea a little bit more. What is the purpose of witnessing and why is it so important for the Christian? Isaiah chapter 58. And we're going to start in verse 6. Isaiah chapter 58, beginning in verse 6. 
Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 58, beginning in verse 6. Now you're familiar with the whole scope of Isaiah maybe, but if not, I'll, I'll just summarize it very quickly. Isaiah chapter 1 starts out with, these are people, obviously Israel that God is talking to, who claim to be God's people. That's nothing shocking. But when God describes them in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 10, he says, instead of looking like my people, you actually look more like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I don't know about you, if God wrote you a letter and said, hello, Sodom, hello, Gomorrah, you know, would you feel very encouraged that day? In other words, you're pretty far off spiritually. So in the book of Isaiah, God's constantly trying to call them back. Praise the Lord, the Lord doesn't leave us in a broken condition. In Isaiah chapter 58, God's trying to correct their worship and some of the things that they're doing to not just be mere forms, but to understand why it matters. And in the scope of that conversation, we start to understand why witnessing is important. Isaiah chapter 58, beginning in verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burden, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Now before we continue on, why is he talking about fasting? If you know anything, remember the story where Jesus talks about the publican and the Pharisee who go to the temple to pray and the Pharisee stands up on the street corner and he loves to be seen by men and he says, Lord, you know that I fast twice a week and I give alms of all that I have and he He's proclaiming his righteousness of how he perceives it. Fasting was a very common thing, and it's a biblical idea, is it not? That you can abstain from something. You abstain from food. It reminds you of your need for the Lord. Like Job says, I have esteemed the word of your mouth more than my necessary food. And so this is a fast that they were familiar with, but have you found out that it's easy to go through the motions of something and not understand the meaning anymore? God wasn't calling people just to abstain from food because it's interesting, while they were abstaining from food, they were oppressing the poor. And they were hurting others and not carrying out the character of God. So while you have a form of religiosity, you really are denying the power thereof, as, as um, we're told in the rest of Scripture. But I want you to notice this. God tells them not only are you to fast, but I want you to do something else. Don't just think about yourself, but what are you actually supposed to do with your bread? Instead of you eating it, who do you give it to? Verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the who? The hungry. Now here God is calling them, hey, instead of just, well, it's great that you're trying to abstain and you're realizing that this is important, but I want you to see that. What about actually helping those who are in need? What about giving some bread to someone who needs it while you abstain from it for a little bit? Now throughout Scripture, we realize that Bread is not only something physical, but it's also a representation of something spiritual. Would you agree with that? Jesus talks about in John chapter 6, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Um, the manna, as he's talking about in the wilderness, he calls himself the bread of life. Um, the word is known as the bread. Um, we have this all throughout Scripture. And so when God is calling them to share their bread, obviously it's talking about the physical. But as you notice the language of Isaiah, he talks about the spiritual applications all throughout this passage as we're going to continue reading. So do you think God might be calling them to not only share their physical bread, but maybe their spiritual bread as well? So as you look at that, God is calling them to now be witnesses, to serve people in ways that can help their physical needs and their spiritual. Notice what God says will happen, verse 8. 
Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to feed the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall, shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Now is this not incredible? When you're sharing your bread or when you're helping those in need physically and spiritually, who's receiving all the blessings that were just talked about? The person you're sharing with? No, no, no. Your, your light is springing forth speedily. You, you have the idea of your you see clearly where you need to go. You now have guidance. Instead of the Lord shutting His ears to your prayer, like Isaiah chapter 1 says, or Isaiah chapter 59 continues on to say, because your sins have separated you from God, now God hears you because you are surrendered to Him and serving Him how He's saying. He's your rear guard and your protection. Your darkness, all of your wickedness, looks more like light than darkness. I mean, that's a good news. And this is what God says will happen as you begin to share your faith. Now, how many of you think that that would be an important reason to start witnessing for God? The first reason that God gives us found in Isaiah chapter 43 and Isaiah chapter 58 is why we need to witness is because it benefits us and it helps us to grow spiritually. Now, there's many examples we could look at. I want to look at a few passages or maybe just one from Spirit of Prophecy and then tell you a little illustration that I think might make the point clear. This is from Desire of Ages 3.39, talking about the demoniacs. You remember Jesus gets off the boat and the demoniacs are there right around the tombs. The disciples are scared. They stay in the boat. Jesus goes and delivers them. And after delivering them, what do the, what do the demoniacs want to do? They want to go with Jesus, right? I mean, who wouldn't? But what does Jesus tell them to do? No, 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 go back to your city. And this is picking up on that train of thought. Not only did they tell their own households and neighbors about Jesus, but they went throughout the capitalists everywhere declaring His power to save and describing how He has freed them from their demons. Now, just a side note, how many sermons in Bible training schools had these demoniacs been through? They hadn't even heard a single message from Jesus, right? But yet they were willing to just share, look, God delivered me from the power of the, de the devil. And I just want to let you know that there's a Messiah who can deliver you too. And they start to just share what Jesus has done in their life. And how many of us think that maybe we have even a little more information with that than that to share? In doing this work, they can receive a greater blessing than if merely for the benefit to themselves they had remained in His presence. It is in working to spread the good news of salvation that we are brought near to the Savior. Isn't this true? How many of you have experienced this in your own life? As you share the Word of God with someone, it transforms you and you start to become closer to Jesus. There's a young man who I just had the opportunity to baptize him last night. This is him right here in the front, the guy with the big smile. His name's Damien. I met Damien a year ago just about a year ago today, he came as a junior to Great Lakes Adventist Academy. And one thing that I like to do at the academy on the first day was just give everyone an opportunity to introduce themselves to the class as an icebreaker. The introverts hate it and the extroverts love it. And we take this time to get to know each other. Well, Damien put together a little PowerPoint slide to tell me everything until the class, everything that he loved. One of the first things that he said he loved was Marilyn Manson. That was one of his favorite musicians. And for those of you who don't know, Marilyn Manson 
I mean, out, this is not conspiracy, okay? Just Google it, because it sounds so crazy. Is a priest in the church of Satan, okay? I mean, that's literally, he has his ordination certificate, he's smiling with, well, not smiling with it, he's doing his little demonic thing with it. But he's there, right? That's Marilyn Manson, this, guy's, this guy's idol. And then he goes on to tell me about some of his favorite musicians who are rappers that I have no idea who they are. And he loves Gucci loafers, which are $1,000 pairs of slip-on shoes. And the last thing he was telling me about was a clothing brand that he really loved, but he realized he probably shouldn't tell me about it because it has curse words in the name. 100% honest. And he wasn't just putting it on. You know there's kids who try to act more worldly just to be rebellious? But then there's kids who are just absolutely rebellious, and that's just who they are. They're not even trying to be rebellious. That's just how far they are gone. So... Imagine having him in your Bible class. Well, we, we fast forward and we have some time dialoguing together. We invited him to our house multiple times and we started a friendship. We took him to the Adventist Historic Village with us one weekend and he started to realize that you can have an enjoyable time not on drugs, which I, I know that's mind-blowing to some people. It really is. He had never experienced that. He said, you know, this is one of the first days that I've had fun sober. Wow, 16 years old, raised in the Adventist church. Well, we continue going on, and we start studying the Bible together a little bit off and on, and he would take two steps forward and 12 steps backward. I mean, it was just a battle. One time, he finally decided, you know, I'm going to get rid of my Marilyn Manson music. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to surrender to the Lord. I know it's between him and I. I said, praise the Lord. A few days later, he gets kicked out of Great Lakes Adventist Academy because he tried to kill himself in his dorm room. And he said, look, I just got to such a low place and I figured if I could take my own life in a Christian school, I would prove that your God is powerless. But God woke him up after taking all that medication and it really just frustrated him. He said, I wanted to be dead, but God wouldn't let me die. So then he ran off of campus because he knew that would get him kicked out. Well, that was, someone asked me, what did he get kicked out for? And I said, well, which time? That was the first time. Well, Damien, after a series of things, they invited him to come back under a probationary term. Don't get the idea that they just let anyone in there. But he comes back under the condition that they would drug test him frequently to see if he's using. And after a little bit of time, he failed his drug test and was sent home permanently for the rest of the year. Well, as my wife and I, we, there were many times we'd come home after Friday night vespers, after talking to Damien, after spending time with him, and we'd have a group of friends there and we'd just begin praying, Lord, do something in this young man's life. I mean, there's Nothing short of a miracle that it's going to take to save this brother. So we'd pray, and it seemed like the only thing that would happen is Damien would become more worldly. I mean, there was really no evidence of hope. Well, as he was kicked out of Glaw, he started to realize that his choices were making him miserable. You know, he couldn't sleep at night. He talked about having demonic experiences, and I won't go into all of it. It's quite graphic. He'd never had peace. He said, I don't understand how you can go to sleep and not be stressed. <laughs> I have the Lord. It's, it's pretty nice. And we would have these conversations back and forth. After being kicked out, he started to say, look, I, I want to be a Christian. I really want to know God. So he started studying his Bible off and on. As, as some of you may know, it can be a challenge to create that habit when you haven't had it for a while. He was still tempted with other things around him. And I said, Damien, why don't you go to a summer canvassing program? And he said, well, what's a canvassing program? I said, well, you'd, you'd walk the streets and you would meet people, and you would sell Seventh-day Adventist books to them in hopes that they would become Seventh-day Adventists. And I mean, I, I, felt, I thought it was kind of a crazy idea to even recommend this to a guy who's where Damien's at. And Damien said, I mean, he's kind of crazy. He's all or nothing, all or nothing, and I appreciate that about him. And he said, I think the reason why the Lord can reach me is because I'm either hot or cold. And I said, Damien, what about going canvassing? He said, well, 
yeah, I, I can try canvassing. So he filled out an application, and he confessed this to me much later, that on his application, whenever it asked you, like, please give me a paragraph that describes your past experience, he would give, like, a two-word answer. He said, I was hoping they wouldn't accept me. And I figured if I gave him a terrible application, no one would accept me. So he said, I gave bogus answers, terrible references, all those things. And he said, then I got a call from the man who said, hey, you know, I just want to let you know it starts in two weeks. Meet us at such and such a place. He said, this is really happening. So he told his dad, dad, I don't want to go. He's working construction at this time up in the UP. And his dad says, okay, let me get one thing straight. You're not afraid to kill yourself. You're not afraid of drugs. You're not afraid of overdosing. You're not afraid of being crazy at parties, but you're afraid of telling people about God. And he said, well, I, his dad said, what's it going to hurt? Just try it. I said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll try it. Well, Damien went and he confessed the first three weeks were like the most miserable weeks of his life. I mean, here you are in a program where it's, you're surrounded by spiritual happy people. You met some of the canvassers here, and they can come off as, I'm not saying them specifically, but canvassers can come off as odd sometimes because they're so happy, and it's, it's a different breed of human beings that can go door to door and have resilience to continue to be happy in that process. So Damien found that a little bit agitating and irritating, but he found a good friend there who started studying the Bible with him. And as that friend by the name of Jerry, who was just baptized last year after being in drugs for years of his life and dealing himself, they became friends together and they started studying through Scripture together. And Damien, I asked him, I said, what was the shifting point in your life? He said, you know, it was really the point when I went to someone's door. He said, we were in the ghettos of Detroit where a place that hadn't been canvassed for a little while because they didn't feel that it was safe. And he said, I went to Mario's door, and at Mario's door, when I knocked, he came out and he pointed a gun at my head. And he said, you know, there's those times where you have to act like you have it all together, even though you're absolutely terrified. He said, that was one of those times. And he said, Mario pointed the gun at my head and said, I want nothing to do with what you have. Get out of here. Also, he was a smart young man, and he left. But he said, you know, as I left, I, I kept seeing Mario's face in my head, and I realized Mario is miserable. And if Mario would just listen to what I have, then maybe he could have joy too. And he said he felt this strong impression, you need to go back to Mario's door. And he's saying, I can't go back to Mario's door, the guy just pointed a gun at my head. So he calls his leader, what should I do? Should, you know, should I go back to Mario's door? And I mean, what do you say? He tells him, the Holy Spirit, I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to go, but the guy almost shot me. And I think the leader had some wisdom, and he said, well, just do what the Lord tells you. And... Uh, I'm not going to get involved in this, right? So Damien walks back to Mario's door, and Mario says, what do you want? And Damien said, there's one book I want to show you. It's called Peace Above the Storm, or Steps to Christ. He said, this book will change your life and give you the peace that you're missing. And Mario started to open up about how his life was really rough, and, and Damien said, what do you do for work? And Mario said, you know what I do for work. And he said, you know, business has been slow. I don't have a lot of money right now. And Damien said, I, this is a book that will transform your life. And Mario got that book. And the thing that makes the story even more powerful to me is Damien said he got back in the van and just started bawling. And as you can see, I mean, he's not the smallest man in the world, and that's him after losing 70 pounds. He said he just started breaking down because he realized that he was Mario for so long in his spiritual experience. That God had been trying to reach him time and time again, seeing how miserable Damien was. But he just kept rejecting him. And God kept saying, if you only knew what I had, if you gave me a chance, you would be willing to take it too. And Damien said, it was at that point where I realized, Lord, I want whatever you have. I want to surrender my life to you, and I want to be serious about being a surrendered Christian. Um, by the grace of God, we spent five hours with him this week. I don't know if you've seen the book, Fundamentals of Faith. 
Um, it's, it goes over all the things that Seventh-day Adventists believe in a very detailed way. It's 35 pages long, right? When I heard Damien call me and say, I want to be baptized, I thought, how, are you, are you sure? Uh, it's kind of, it must be what people felt like when Saul became Paul. Are, are you really certain that you're going through with this thing? Because it doesn't seem real. So I went down there with him and we read through every single word because I wanted him to fully know, this is what we believe as Adventists. Is this what you're committing to? Do you know what Jesus is calling you to do as a Christian? And whenever he found a point that was new to him or that was different than what he was practicing in his life, he said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to have to change some things in my life, but I'm willing to do that because I want to follow Jesus. Every point, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And last night, you can see it on Facebook, they recorded it there. We had the privilege of baptizing Damien at Great Lakes Adventist Academy. The principal stood up and said, I had to double check to make sure it was the same Damien. Uh, you know, how does this happen? And the reality is this, and this just proves the point of what Isaiah 43 says and Isaiah 58 says. In sharing your faith with others, not only does it bless those people like Mario and the many others that are met, but it actually transforms your life. And I could tell you personal story after personal story, and others could get up here and tell you stories, and you might have stories you could tell us about how God uses witnessing for your own spiritual growth. So if you were the devil... Wouldn't you try to get God's people to not share their faith? If it's so crucial, if we realize that by witnessing, it transforms our spiritual life, maybe we too would actually take it more seriously and say, Lord, if this is what it means, then I'm willing to be engaged. Now I want to share with you a couple more points of why I think witnessing, and not why I think, but why Scripture tells us witnessing is important, just briefly. And I believe this will help us to see that witnessing is something not only optional and additional for the Christian life, but it's really core and essential. And the second point is this. That if we don't witness, people will be lost. Now, I, I know this sounds like a no-brainer, but we live in a society today where we have to be politically correct, right? Or we're expected to be politically correct. There's a quote that someone just shared with me last night from Oprah Winfrey, and I, I didn't have the time to put it up on the screen for you. But Oprah says, one of the greatest deceptions in humanity today is that there's only one way to God through Jesus. But she says, there's many ways to who you call God. Now that's the very popular notion. How many of you have heard similar things like that? You might even talk to Christians. And Christians say, well, I know they're Muslim, but they're good people and God will bring them in. And I know they're Buddhists, but they're, they're good Buddhists. God will bring them in. Now, don't get me wrong. Can the Lord work with people? Yes. But what we're going to see is that how does God choose to work with people? Other people will set up the hypothetical situation. Well, what about those remote islands where people have never heard the name of Jesus? What's God going to do to them? As though God's some vindictive God who's looking for a reason to get them lost. But I don't know if you remember some of the stories in Scripture when there wasn't someone around to teach someone about Jesus. That God worked in miraculous ways. Think of a man in Ethiopia, far removed from where God's people were at that time, who was studying Scripture, longing to know truth, and Jesus, seeing that in his heart, didn't say, well, I'm sorry, brother. Got nothing to do for you. Unless you confess me, you know, you can't figure it out. And he's trying to study the Messiah, as we see in the book of Isaiah. But instead, what does God do? Sends a missionary by the name of Philip. And Philip is miraculously taken there, 
works with this Ethiopian eunuch, the guy is transformed and baptized as a strong member of the Lord's church. My friends, we need to realize the seriousness of this. That it's oftentimes that we think, oh, God has a thousand ways to reach someone. Now, is that true? Absolutely. But what if one of those thousand ways is you? And what if God wants you and I to reach out so that we can be the missionary so that people aren't lost? We're familiar with what Jesus says. And Jesus tells us, I realize I didn't have that on the screen. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? In other words, there's not a thousand ways that lead to Jesus. And what we can see here, Romans makes this point very clear as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the power of God. Or the gospel of God, for it's the power of God and his salvation. Right? You're familiar with that passage? And he says, I'm indebted to share this with others. Verse 14. But notice what he says in Romans chapter 10, what he's going to do about that indebtedness. Or what you and I should do about that indebtedness as well. God not only wants to call us to be witnesses for our own benefit, but it might be for the benefit of those we're witnessing too. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, notice how he states this. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Most Christians would rewrite that today. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord or Allah or Buddha or Mary or whoever else will be saved. That's not what Jesus says, does he? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, he will be saved. Well, that presents us with the problem, right? How do people then know about Jesus? Verse 14. Well, how then shall they call on him and who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now you think, oh yeah, there's the problem. We need more preachers. Well, what did Mark chapter 3, verse 14 tell us that all Christians have the responsibility of doing? Being with God and preaching for God. Now we're going to look next week at what does it mean to preach. Does that mean you stand on a pulpit all the time? Or stand on a stage next to a pulpit? That's not what it is. But notice, God is calling preachers, not just paid ministers, but preachers. And notice how this continues on. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You see, God in heaven, as He's looking at this dying world, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as He looks at humanity suffering in sin, he thinks, what can I do to reach that person? Because unless they know about Jesus and the truth of Jesus, they're going to be lost eternally. And how often do I sit back in ease and comfort and think, well, the Lord can do something. And I claim to be a Christian when we realize that the very pulse of Jesus was serving others and reaching the lost. But yet I claim to be a little Christ as a Christian, but yet I don't have a heart like Christ. I don't have a burden for souls. I don't have a, a longing for the salvation of others. But do you think that the Lord could give us that? Do you think the Lord could recreate our hearts to make us more loving? To make us have compassion upon those who we haven't cared less about them being in heaven? Notice some of these. I want to share a couple of quotations with you. I almost printed off the entire chapter of Christian service, the first chapter. Um, if you have the book Christian Service... I would encourage you this week, just go back and reread that first chapter. It's absolutely powerful. And if you don't have it, I'll, I'll print it off for you. Just let me know that you would like a copy. But as you look at that, I was tempted to put all 
15 quotations in there that were in that chapter, but I only included a few, and I want you to see them very clearly. It says, we have this treasure, the apostle continues, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us, 2 Corinthians, right? God could have proclaimed his truth through sinless angels, but this is not his what? Now, how many of you, from our limited perspective, if you could pick between sinless angels and yourself to be a witness, who would you pick? It's a no-brainer, right? But that's not God's plan. He chooses who? Human beings. Men compassed with infirmity as instruments in the working out of his design. The priceless change, uh, treasure is placed in earthen vessels. Through men his blessings are to be conveyed to the world, and through them his glory is to shine forth in the darkness of sin. In loving ministry they are to meet the sinful and the needy and lead them to the cross. And in all their work, they are to ascribe glory, honor, and praise to Him who is above all and over all. God tells us clearly, I, I want to reach these people. Yes, they need to know about the Lord or else they won't be saved. So what's the instrument that He uses? Us. Desire of Ages, page 297. With almost impatient eagerness, the angels wait for our cooperation. For man, what's that word? Must. What does that mean? It means that there's one option, right? If you tell your children, you must do this, there's not a thousand other ways. This is the way it's going to go. For man must be the channel to communicate with man. And when we give ourselves to Christ in wholehearted devotion, angels rejoice that they may speak through our voices to reveal God's love. You get the picture here? You have all of heaven who's so deeply invested in the salvation of our race, so much so that God Himself would come and die on our behalf. The angels are working and longing to impart light and truth to those. But the only way that He can do it is through the conduit of humanity. And the problem is, is that the very conduit, us, we're sometimes not as interested as what heaven is. And that's why the angels are there with almost in patient eagerness to reach those who are lost. I don't know about you, but I think this is an important reason to share our faith. Not only do I need to grow spiritually, how many of you could admit that, that you need some growth? How many of you can admit the fact that you don't want to be standing in the New Jerusalem looking through that wall of transparent glass and seeing your barber, or seeing whoever you've interacted with on a daily basis on the other side of the wall because you didn't tell them. And hearing those words come from their mouth, why didn't you tell me? How did you know this, but you never shared the gospel with me? I would rather be rejected a hundred times than to ever hear that happen. My friends, this is reality, and if our, our minds could be open to eternal things, how much more we would be moved into action for the Lord's service. So reviewing, why do we need to witness? Because we need to grow spiritually. We need to witness because if we don't, people will be lost. Three, and briefly, we need to witness because if we aren't witnessing, we aren't Christians. Now, I know this is a very blunt way of saying it, but I'm not saying it in any different words than what Jesus did. If we take the thought of Mark chapter 3, what we've seen already, Jesus tells us that time with God plus witnessing for God equals a Christian. We've gone through this a few times. And if I remove any part of this equation, I don't come out with the same result. Isn't that true? 
So if I say, well, I'm just going to spend time with Jesus, but I'm not going to go for Him, I can't be a Christian. But God doesn't lead us there to discourage us. Did you know that the only reason God points out our sin is because He has the power to transform us into the very thing that He's calling us to be? I mean, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. There's nothing wrong with examination, but too often we shun it. Because it leads us to discouragement when we're not focused in the right place. But when I can look at my life and I see, Lord, I do not have a burden for souls like you do. I mean, I can't even pretend, right? I mean, would you give up your life for the very people who are trying to murder you? I'm not there, but I want to be. And when we realize our shortcomings and we plead with the Lord, Lord, you say that a Christian is someone who shares for you. Lord, put that burden in my heart. Do you think the Lord can do it? If God can create the world in six literal days, can God create a love for souls in my heart? Notice this passage from Desire of Ages, page 504. Unless there is a practical self-sacrifice for the good of others in the family circle, in the neighborhood, in the church, and wherever we may be, then whatever our profession, we are not Christian. Now that's a straight statement. But how many of you are thankful for those straight statements that can cause you to say, Lord, am I, am I there? And if not, can I identify, Father, now there's a place where I can experience your power in my life. The fourth point, and our last point together, is the reason why evangelism is so important in witnessing and us all being involved is because God's work will never be finished unless you and I do it. I want to look at a couple things that will help you see that. Mark or Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. You might be familiar with this passage. Jesus is talking about the end of the world in Matthew chapter 24. But in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all the world as a witness to all nations, and then shall the end what? Come. Now let's just do some simple math again. All the world, all nations know about Jesus. Then what happens? Jesus comes. Okay? So if we don't take the gospel to all the world, then how are we going to finish this work? Notice this quote from Gospel Workers, page 351. The work of God in this earth can, what is that word? Never. It's an impossibility. The work of God on earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those uh, with those of ministers and church officers. My friends, we don't need to hire another hundred pastors for the Bay City Vassar area or whatever area you're in. We don't need a pastor in your town where there's not one today. What we need is living members. I need to be a living member. I, this is not a finger-pointing sermon. This is the reality of evaluation. Lord, where am I at? What can I do to contribute to their work? How often do we pray, Lord, please come soon. I'm tired of this sin. I'm tired of this suffering. I'm tired of all the heartache. And the Lord says, you know, help me to get people ready and I'm more than happy to come back. And we just go back to our knees, Lord, please come soon. And you wonder how the Lord starts to relate to that prayer. When He's longing to do both things, He longs to come back. He longs to deliver you from suffering. But He's not willing to come back early in order that others would be lost 
And that's why God's saying, I need all of us. Paid employees of the church. Lay members. Anyone who's a Christian to be involved in this activity. We must be laborers together with God, for God will not complete His work without human agency. Review and Herald, March 1, 1887. I don't know about you, but as I've spent time reflecting on this this week, it's really just convicted me that we are living in a time where we must be more bold about our faith. I'm not talking about arrogant and irritating for the sake of being irritating. You understand what I'm saying. But we're living in a time where I need Jesus to transform my heart so that I actually love people like He does. I don't want to miss out on the blessings of being knowing that He's God and having an experience like Damien because I'm not sharing my faith. I don't want to allow my neighbors or my family or my friends to be lost because I never shared it with them. I don't want to be classified as a non-Christian regardless of my profession. And I don't know about you, but I want to see Jesus come. And not just theoretically, not just hypothetically, not just a whimsical thing, but Lord, I want to see you come in my lifetime. And I believe it can happen if we rally together by God's grace to finish His work. How many of you have that same desire? Lord, I really want this to be a, a characteristic of my life. Maybe there's some of you who feel discouraged, like, man, could He have just told us something nicer today? But how many of you want to say, Lord, I want to give you the opportunity to create in me that beautiful picture that you've shown us today of what witnessing can look like. I'm not a good witness, but Lord, I believe by your power, you can not only save us from sin, but you can help us to save others. Lord, use me as an instrument for you. Father, this is our prayer. Lord, throughout our lives, and especially throughout this upcoming week, Lord, would you please help us to lift up Jesus in everything that we do. Lord, we know that there's a world that is dying because they would long to see Jesus. Lord, may You help us to be those channels of communication that Your angels can minister through us to them. Lord, we're absolutely disqualified for the work. We have no efficiency as of ourselves. But Father, we believe that we're cooperating with the God of the universe who sets the galaxies in order and Lord, You can work with someone as feeble as us. Father, we trust that you will give us success. That we will see people in your kingdom as a result of your work through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.